morning. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, this marks a first for me. It's the first time that I come to ABC as a graduate and a guest speaker in chapel. I'm very familiar with this pulpit. Um, I would come here as a student uh, regularly to do what Bernard is doing, so it's nice to be on the receiving end. So thank you to the leadership. I have much to say and uh, very little time, so I'll get right to it. Our text this morning will be Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. I commence reading. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my bonds and build larger ones. And there I will store up my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared for yourself, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. So your theme this year is Psalm 127, verse 1, which uh, is summarized as let him build or let the Lord build. And I went through the psalm and uh, my, uh, one, my one sentence summary of the psalm is submission to God's will in our lives is the pursuit that every Christian is supposed to have. So in this psalm, you have a contrast of a person who works day and night, rises early and goes to sleep late to have the sustenance. They, they trust in their own strength to sustain themselves. And then you have another person who does something similar, but they understand that it is God who provides. And so they have peace at night, knowing that it is not all up to them, but it is, it is actually the Lord who provides for them. So with the bigger picture of the, the Bible in mind, this psalm will most likely refer to salvation, that you may labor day and night to be a good person, but no matter what you do, you cannot win God's favor. And it is God who saves us by his grace. So that's on the big picture. But on the surface level, the psalm is talking about worldly possessions, worldly pursuits, the worries of life. And that's where I want to focus on this morning. And basically, uh, the psalm would, would then tell us that life is more than just money. Life is more than just money. Now, the biblical worldview says that life should not be lived with a desire for more self-gratification, but a desire to be in the will of God. Luke talks about wealth more than any other gospel. 
So I, I went to the book of Luke, and uh, this particular passage for me relates very well to Psalm 127. So Luke wrote this gospel to Theophilus, who he calls most excellent Theophilus, to provide an orderly account that he, Theophilus, may have certainty of the things that had been taught to him about Jesus Christ. So essentially, this is to strengthen Theophilus's faith. Theophilus must have been a young Christian at the time. So in chapter 1 and 2, Luke starts with the prologue addressing Theophilus, and then uh, he gets into the early life of Christ. In chapters 2 to 9, uh, he goes into Christ's ministry in Galilee. Then from chapter 9 to 19, which is where we are, it's Christ's journey down to Jerusalem. So Christ transitions from being in Galilee down to Jerusalem. And throughout his ministry, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God. So here in chapter 12, he has just started his journey down to Jerusalem and he's continuing talking about the kingdom of God. And in this context, he starts to warn against some things. And here he warns against worldly materialism. So I've titled my sermon this morning, God's honor imputes value to life. God's honor imputes value to life, not worldly wealth. We are taught this by Luke in three stages through this encounter. So the first stage is the declination response. The second stage is the declarative warning. And the third stage is the didactic illustration. So these three stages will be the focus of my sermon, my three main points. So let's start with stage one, which is found in uh, verse 13 and 14, the declination response, declination response. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So declination simply means to decline or refuse. So Jesus responded to this man with a refusal. Now, for us who are familiar with this passage, it might seem normal for Jesus to do this, but it was not normal. Back in those days, rabbis who are experts in the law would actually be asked by members of the community to help out with issues like uh, dividing the inheritance, uh, land disputes, because the law of the Lord covered such things, and a rabbi, being an expert, was asked to help out. So he was kind of like a, a lawyer or a judge. So this was a normal thing for this man to ask Jesus. He calls him teacher, meaning rabbi. So he's actually saying, you in your position as a rabbi, please help me out with this. But Jesus refuses. It, with Jewish inheritance, the laws at the time were that the oldest brother would get twice the allotment, double the allotment that the younger brothers would get. So suppose there are three brothers and the inheritance is 20,000 kwacha. The oldest will get 10,000, 10,000, and the youngest would, the, the, the two younger brothers would get 5,000 each. Then the sisters would obviously be married off to uh, another family, and they would be part of the inheritance with the brothers in that other family. So th the brothers in this family were the ones who got the inheritance. So maybe this man was the older brother who got defrauded by his younger brothers who, who might have had envy. 
who saw how much he would get and felt that they deserved it for some reason. Or he could have been one of the younger brothers or just the younger brother and he just was defrauded and he needed some help with this. Some commentators say that maybe this man uh, had some bad intentions, that he wasn't supposed to get what he wanted. But actually, I believe that this man was honest. This man really wanted help because he wouldn't go to a man who he respects as a rabbi uh, with illicit intentions. So those, th that's kind of the, the cultural background here. Now, Jesus refused. This was strange. It's weird. How can you refuse this? To this man, it was a, such a surprise. How could Jesus say that? But you see, by his refusal, Jesus is trying to communicate something. He's communicating his purpose and his agenda. See, the purpose of his ministry is not on worldly things. The purpose of Jesus' ministry is not on worldly possessions. It is not on earthly pursuits. So there are a few things we can learn here. The first thing is that this man made an error in thinking that Jesus came for earthly pursuits and that Jesus is a means to those earthly pursuits. See, when, when this man heard that Jesus was around, he, he must have heard this rabbi who speaks with authority and performs miracles is around. And maybe he wanted to hear some of the things that the rabbi had to say, but in all honesty, he came that day, he joined the crowd on that day because he had an agenda, his worldly possessions that he felt belonged to him. He came to Christ with an agenda. And this is a mistake that we all make. See, we think that God is a means to our earthly pursuits. We view God as some kind of ATM machine. You go when you want some things. If you're in a relationship, boy, girl, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend relationship, if your boyfriend or girlfriend only comes to see you when they want things from you, how would that make you feel? They only spend time with you because they want to go out for lunch and you pay for it. They send you a text message and say all kinds of nice things on the text because they're asking for airtime. If they do that, sooner or later you're going to know that this person does not love you. Or your parents, if you only speak to your parents when you want money from them. That's it. The only time you spend time with your parents is when you want something from them. You don't really love them. You just want what they can give you. And that's how we approach God. Every time we go into prayer, the only thing we do is ask him for things. Jesus actually turned some people back who had experienced a miracle. They got food from him. The next day he crossed the lake and he was going off uh, to uh, preach at, at some synagogue. But on the way there, these guys heard that Jesus had crossed the lake and they went there too and found him. And Jesus told them, you guys have come for the food. I'm the real food. Do we approach God in that way? Is he the real thing that we want? Or is he just something that we use to get what we want? 
See, this, this man that day did not know that he was looking at the Lord of Lords. He was looking at the God of Israel, but he was distracted by worldly worries, by worldly pursuits. He was distracted. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that the African church is distracted. You can quote me on this. I'm calling it the great distraction of the African church. And this is it. Development and entrepreneurship. See, Africa right now has this agenda. We want to see our countries develop. We want to see entrepreneurs everywhere. We want to see manufacturing. We want to get out of poverty. Now, this is a good thing. But the thing is, this worldly agenda, material in focus, this is materialistic thinking, has creeped into our churches, into our sermons, into our Bible studies. And we see God as a means to get development and entrepreneurship, success in the material things, success in our material goals. And we come to God for this purpose. Churches will host huge seminars and the pastor will preach on such things. Now, these things aren't bad, but the problem is they're the focus. They're the focus. We, we have been distracted let me give you a quick example of the early church. See, they lived in a time when Rome was expanding. So the Roman Empire was just expanding throughout the whole world. And what we call today the Pax Romana, which means the Roman peace, was just going everywhere. This was about Roman influence and, and having a, a, a civil society being expanded throughout all the world that uh, the Roman Empire could. And pretty much just bringing the world together. This was the main agenda of the time. And Christians lived in that time. But they were not distracted by this. We had people like Theophilus, who was probably a politician or somebody of high esteem in Roman society. People like him, who held positions in the society. But they were not distracted. You see, though the world had the agenda of Roman expansion and bringing the world together, Christians lived under it, and eventually this worldly agenda helped serve the church in the sense that by the 300s, the entire Roman world was influenced by Christianity. So, brothers and sisters, in your churches right now, the African church, we're surrounded by this big agenda of development and entrepreneurship. Don't let that distract you. Be in this society and expand the gospel. You see, our assignment is not development and entrepreneurship. It's to preach, teach, baptize, and disciple. Use what the world is doing to get that agenda through. See, Jesus has done something countercultural here. He has shattered the hopes of this man that this man had placed on Christ and also the expectations of the crowd around the man now he must qualify his decision to refuse to help this man. He does so by providing a caution against worldly possessions. So he does this. This is the second stage of uh, the, the lesson here that, that, that God's honor imputes value to life, not worldly wealth. So this is the second stage that, that Luke uses. This is... Stage two, declarative warning. The declarative warning. This is in verse 15. 
which says, And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus here provides a warning, a caution, and then in the second part of the sentence provides uh, or rather declares a truth. So this is why I've titled it a declarative warning. So let's focus on the warning. He warns against covetousness. The NIV translates the word for covetousness as greed. This word is pleonexia. Strong's Bible Dictionary defines pleonexia or covetousness or greed as the desire for more things. Desire for more things. So Jesus warned against this, but anybody can tell you that greed or covetousness are a negative emotion. Even the secular world, people who are non-religious, people who don't read the Bible will tell you that greed is a negative emotion and a negative drive. A renowned personal finance guru by the name of Robert Kiyosaki, he wrote uh, the uh, bestseller Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, warns against greed. In his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he writes this. He says, people's lives are forever controlled by two emotions, fear and greed. Offer them more money and they continue the cycle by increasing their spending. He goes further uh, a few pages. He says, they desire money for the joy that they think it can buy but the joy that money brings is often short-lived and they soon need more money for more joy, more pleasure, more comfort, more security. So they keep working, thinking money will soothe their souls, that they are troubled, that are troubled by fear and desire. But money can't do that. So this is a non-Christian author warning against greed. And this is a person who's uh, renowned for being a, a billionaire and giving great advice on, on finances and, and business. And he's warning against it. But the difference between Christians and non-Christians in this regard is the reason that they provide for warning us. So the reason why Robert would warn against it is different to the reason why Jesus would warn against covetousness. See, the reason here is provided by Jesus when he declares the truth. This is the truth. The value of one's life is not what you possess. Your net worth is not your true worth. The NASB, the, uh, which is another Bible translation, translates Jesus's declaration here as not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. The Message Bible, which tries to uh, bring regular English, says life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. So your life, no matter how much you have, has no more value just because you have more possessions. So what can we learn from this? By valuing wealthy people more than those without money, we have given over to the way of the world. See, the way of the world 
has this thing about measuring net worth. If you are a millionaire or a billionaire and you decide that you're going to have a conference, many people will come. If you write a book, it's going to sell. Just because the world values people with more possessions and more worldly success. But that's not how Jesus says we should value people. James puts it this way in chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? As Christians, we do not value people with more money and value people less who don't have much money. We need to correct that. That is the way of the world. Paul says that we need to be transformed by the renewing of, the, of our minds and no longer conform to the pattern of this world. The other thing we learn is that living for people's approval and admiration based on our worldly success is futility. It's not a true measure of success. If you labor day and night so that you can have a nice house and a nice car and a, and, and, and a nice fridge, and people should see you driving your car. And when they come visit you, they see this big house. That's all futility. Because according to the Lord, that adds no value to your life. There is no eternal value at all. And people might praise you right now when they see you. But behind your back, they've got all kinds of things to say about you. The other thing we learn is that greed leads to futility. Because no matter how much possessions you acquire, they don't add anything to your life. You can have all the money in the world, but it, it is all futility. So Jesus has made a, a declarative warning here to qualify why he refused the man's request. Now, to clarify his declaration of truth here, which is weird, by the way, it, it, it was strange to these people. To, to, to clarify that, this truth that your worldly possessions do not add value to your life, he provides a parable. So Jesus has just told this man that essentially, I'm not going to help you because what you're asking for is futility. It adds no value. I'm not going to help you in that. I've got bigger things for you than this, not worldly possessions. And so to, to, to clarify this, he brings in this parable, and this is the third stage that Luke uses to teach us this truth that, that God's honor adds value to life, not worldly wealth. So th this third stage is a didactic illustration, didactic illustration. This is the parable here, so let's go through it. In uh, verse 16 to 21, it says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? 
for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Saul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this is the didactic illustration. Didactic simply means designed to teach a lesson or truth. Now this lesson has already been taught. The truth has been stated. But now Jesus wants to clarify it with this illustration. So Jesus creates a dream scenario. See, according to these people, remember, their worldview is that the more money you have, the more valuable you are, the, the more of a person you are. The less you have, the less valuable you are. So he creates a dream scenario where th this man, being, you know, this is an agricultural society, so this man gets a lot of wealth, a lot of produce. And this is like a dream to many of the listeners. Yes, I just wish my land would produce plentifully. And then uh, this man is given this increase in, in wealth, and then his response to it shows his worldview. It's just the same as Jesus' listeners. Because for him, if life is measured by possessions, he needs to have more, right? The more he has, the more valuable he is. So he says he'll break down his bonds and build bigger ones. This was a very common thing in, in, in those days. So after revealing that this man thinks like them and he's got this dream scenario, Jesus reveals God's heart. God rebukes the man and he uses the word fool. This word in Greek is affron. Strong's Bible Dictionary uh, uh, defines affron as without reason, senseless, without reflection or intelligence, acting rashly. Foolish. This man was just being foolish. God rebuked him. And Jesus concludes the parable by saying that it is foolish to measure the value of life by worldly possessions. It is foolish. So what do we learn from this? God can increase worldly resources and achievements in your life. But they are for his purposes, not for comfort and appeasement. Remember that this man uh, was an, uh, a farmer and, and God is in control of the resources, God is in control of the rain, God is in control of the soil. And so God permitted that this man would get a lot. So I'm not saying that uh, as Christians, you're just gonna be in poverty your whole life. I'm not saying that, but here's the thing. God can give you all these good things, but they're for his purposes, his agenda, which is preach, teach, baptize, and make disciples. You're given all this, your degree. You're given that as a blessing. Not many people have the privilege of coming to university and college, but it is not for your own fulfillment. It is not for your own appeasement but it's for God's purposes. Success in business, high-paying jobs, whatever it is, God grants these things for himself. The second thing we learn is that worldly wealth and achievements have no eternal value. See, God said this 
this night your life will be required of you. The fact that this man's life would be required of you, God was bringing in the, the thing about death. Once you die, you leave everything behind. Naked I came into this world, naked I shall go. But what we do with the things that we get in this world for God's kingdom adds value to our life. And the final thing here, Jesus follows up this parable with this encouragement not to worry about worldly things. So, so after this parable, it's the next part of, of, of uh, this chapter that is very famous. Don't be anxious about anything. Seek ye first the kingdom. This is the context. This is where it comes from. He's saying, give your whole lives to God. Don't worry about earthly things. So Jesus has effectively told the crowd and this man that he did not come for worldly pursuits, but for God's agenda, and that God's agenda has nothing to do with self-serving ambitions. Psalm 127 is found, uh, sorry, in, in Psalm 127, peace is found when knowing that your life pursuits are for his kingdom. Therefore, God will sustain you. God will provide for you because you're serving his purposes. But if you're not then you have to do it all yourself. It's all up to you. You will have no peace because your powers are limited. But if you're serving God, you will have all the peace you need, even when things are difficult. So we have learned that God's honor imputes value to life, not worldly wealth. And uh, Luke has taught us this through the words of Christ in three stages. First of all, the declination response, the declarative warning, and the didactic illustration. I, I trust that you've been encouraged to trust God with your lives and remember that you're serving him and that his agenda comes first above yours and above Malawi's and above Africa's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for a time to hear your word and a time to just reflect and to think about our ambitions, to think about what we want in life. Lord, I pray that you will help us to put you first, to put your desires first, that we may have peace knowing that it is all in your hands. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.